0: Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V-Radio. Good evening, and welcome to this edition of V-Radio. If this is your first time listening to V-Radio, please check out my website, v-radio.org. That's v-radio.org. There you can click archives and find lots of shows like this one, interviews with documentary filmmakers, activists, politicians, the few good ones, and uh, alternative candidates for different offices, and not to mention a lot of great... Uh, roundtable discussions of various current events. This is an alternative media. Uh, today, my guest is Summer Perry from uh, Zeitgeist Moving Forward, and some of you may have seen her making the, you know the waves around Facebook with some of her pictures. So first of all, let me go ahead and introduce my guest. Summer, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: No problem. Well, Summer, um, as I kind of warned you off you know, the air, uh, I have a tradition on the radio that the first question I ask a guest is, how did you become involved with activism? What was the precipice, life-changing moment that made you go from being someone who was part of the world to someone who was trying to make it better?
1: Um, well, do you want a single moment or kind of like a little bit of a story?
0: Go with a story.
1: Okay. Um, well... <laughs> I grew up in the South. I was, uh, I grew up in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Um, the epitome of like Southern suburbia. And I was exposed to, as you could probably imagine, a lot of, um, you know, just like sometimes bigotry, um, racism or xenophobia, um, things like that, bullying and, uh, forced to go to Southern Baptist Church. So, I as a very very young child, I had some qualms with society. I as best I could as a child. And um yeah, I just uh, saw you know, when you watch those commercials of those starving African children as a child, you were you're really deeply affected emotionally because you're not you know, numbed up to the world's problems yet and I would always ask, you know, my mom or teachers when we would talk about it in school, I'd be like, Why don't we just feed these people? Um, why don't we just provide them with homes? And, you know, the answers that I got for that were never satisfactory. It was always just like, you know, well we can't do that or that's not fair to do that because if we gave people we met everyone else's needs, it wouldn't be fair for the people who were working harder. And it just never resonated with me. I think children innately kind of know right and wrong when it comes to things like that. And then um, also I had an experience in the second grade where um, we had a a student's father come in and speak to us. He had been in Desert Storm, which I think is the Persian Gulf War. He was a soldier in the Persian Gulf War, and he, you know, came to tell us about his experience as a soldier and then they took questions after he spoke and i raised my hand and i decided to ask a question the best i could as however old you are in second grade i guess you're seven or something like that Mm -hmm. and i wanted to know why (laughs) i wanted to know why we could go over there and blow up their women and children but they can't come over here and blow us up
0: (laughs) Oh,
1: man! And so. what I meant by that was how are we how how are we protected, and how are they not? You know, I just didn't understand how we go over there and they're exposed to everything, but yet we're sort of in this safety net is what I meant, but as a child, you know, it didn't come out that way, so mm-hmm. the teacher quickly pulled me out of class and took me down to the guidance counselor and <laughs> made a big scene, just humiliated me in front of the class and um. He was very angry with me, and I had to spend uh, two weeks going to counseling every day with the guidance counselor, talking to a puppet called Do So the Dolphin, who tells you the right <laughs> things to say and do in class. I- I'm not
0: laughing at you. I hope I'm laughing with you, because that is so <laughs> ridiculous.
1: Yeah, so I was a bit traumatized by that. Um sort of afraid to speak out after that experience and then you know uh it wasn't ever forgotten I sort of had the reputation of being the little terrorist after that
0: the little terrorist
1: <laughs> yeah and so <laughs> uh had a hard time in school in the south because I was vegetarian and I uh, you know I loved animals I was sensitive I was artistic just didn't really fit into the whole hunting and church going and you it know it's
0: like you were an intelligent person surrounded by not necessarily so intelligent people and that will often prove to be difficult
1: right or just people who hadn't had any experiences to nurture True. their greater intelligence and things like that or just kind of falling into what was expected of them socially in that's that actually
0: uh, that's a good point you i stand corrected
1: yeah <laughs> so um I also had, uh, you know, my mother, she's a naturopath and um, she sort of was ahead of her time. She was working in the alternative healthcare care realm. So I was exposed to information about how crooked the pharmaceutical industry has always been and how they inhibit people being able to take care of their own health and uh, just sort of push drugs on the entire world, and um she was also really into like nikola Tesla, and she showed me videos on free energy and things like that in the nineties, you know early to mid nineties, so I was lucky to be exposed to that, and she also had a lot of Bruce Lipton's lectures on video v h s that we would watch, and um she got into like quantum mechanics and yoga and meditation she wore crystals and all that stuff. So I was exposed to that growing up, which was, I think, good for me, helped me keep an open mind. And we uh, spent some time in Australia for a while, and I got to see how people in a different country live. And I, I was always perturbed by how we were told, you know, we've got all this freedom in America. America's so free. Um, you know, nowhere, nowhere else is better than America because we have all this freedom. And I go and I spend time in Europe, in England, and in Australia, and France, and I I was like I don't get it. They they have all the same freedoms we have. I'm confused. What does this mean, you know? And then nine eleven happened um, when I was in I think I was in the ninth grade when that happened, and I was just like something's wrong. This is it just reeked of fake. It just mm-hmm. it everything in me said that something was fishy about it, and. It, it, nothing to do with, like, conspiracy theories, but just the fact that it happened and just the fact that it was so unreal to me as an American. And shortly thereafter, graduated high school, ran away from Alabama to live in Los Angeles um, and started to go to college. And, of course, you know, here come the student loans. They just get you to sign those off like it's nothing. And when you're an 18-year-old kid, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. So I started thinking... I started worrying about it and thinking, you know, oh, something seems wrong with this. I always believed I was entitled to an education. I think as Americans we are raised believing that we're going to be handed a college education, that it's nothing to worry about, that it's going to be there for you no matter what. And then when I get out in the real world and I'm trying to work to keep a roof over my head and go to college at the same time and then taking out loans, and it just sort of got to me and I kind of, you know, I was like, I've got to figure out what what the hell is going on in the world. This is not what I expected. So I just was sitting around philosophizing to myself one day, and I thought that I had this brilliant idea. I was like, "There is no freedom. We're not free. That's a bunch of crap. We're slaves. We're we're economic slaves." And I was I thought that it was my idea. I was like, "Oh my God! I'm I've, I've thought of something totally unique that no one else has ever thought of." <laughs> And I got online, and I Googled it, and then that's when I found uh, Zeitgeist Addendum had just came out. So that must have been early, early '09, I believe. Right. Late '08. I'm not
0: sure. I think anyway, it was late '08, but yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think it was late '08. And then that's I saw Addendum, and then I watched uh, the first Zeitgeist and went right online, immediately joined the movement, and... Um, I'm really happy about that. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, so that's sort of the story in in short.
0: You know, it sounds to me like uh, at the very foundation, you had a a unique relationship with, I guess you said, your mother that helped to foster kind of a critical and analytical thinking mind. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's, I had that same experience with my own parents. And I remember when I met Jacques Fresco down at the Venus Project and you know, I explained to him my childhood, he had this huge grin, like I've never seen him smile so much about something. And he was like, your mother gave you the right tools. That's wonderful. Like she was, he was just like, that that was this big exceptional thing to him that that happened. And having met a lot of other people, you were very right about it is that many people are not really encouraged at the right ages to kind of have these kinds of thoughts. Like they're, they're very much kind of just handed over to the television at a young age. And, you know, then it takes over their view of the world and it kind of creates a consumerist world. You know, it creates a, a situation where you have people that are not inclined to learn or to think. And that's basically, you know, what I think that you had that helped to benefit you to become the person that you are now. Now, um, you you watch Zeitgeist Addendum and obviously that probably had an impact on you. Um, now, you are also... Uh, you starred in Zeitgeist Moving Forward, so let's talk about how that happened.
1: Oh, well, um, I wouldn't say starred. I was yes. a part of it.
0: <laughs> sure, that that works, too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was a really, really great experience. I'm an actor, and um, never, ever imagined that I would ever get an opportunity to work on something that I actually cared about because mm-hmm. it was always just about trying to make a living. And... um you know, when it came time to shoot Moving Forward, and everybody in Los Angeles came together to make that happen, and I was so fortunate to get to be a part of it. And um, mm-hmm. it was really exciting to, to watch. After I watched, when it came out, it came out in 2011, mm-hmm. and, you know, we had shot that almost a year before and didn't none of the occupy protests had happened at that point so when we watched it in the theater showing all the protests it was a hypothetical from you know peter's imagination but it had come basically come true and it was happening in the world at that time so it was sort of spooky and very exciting um to to be a part of that and see that on the you know, on the screen, and and see people all over the world get to watch that and be inspired by that, too. It was a very inspirational moment in the film.
0: So what was it like to be part of that project?
1: Yeah, it was was awesome. It was great. Um, Getting to spend some time with the coordinators out here in Los Angeles, because we're all, it's sort of become a hub in Los Angeles now. We've got, um, you know, Jen Wilding, U.S. coordinator, moved out here. Uh, we've got uh, Jason Ward, uh, Southern California coordinator, and then we've got Eva and Brandon for Los Angeles coordinators. And uh, so we all got to spend a lot of time together on set, and, and Char, too. Shar was there um, helping out with everything, and she's amazing. I'm sure you know that she does so much work with the movement.
0: Oh, yeah. I've talked and, to
1: her. Yeah, so they, you know, showed me the ropes and – um, you know, just really inspired me to be a better activist and to not be afraid or ashamed of being an activist.
0: Yeah, Shar was actually who I communicated with to uh, get Ben Stewart into the Zeitgeist Media Festival last time around um, with his band Hero Sonic. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with Ben's work, but um, he's another good friend of mine. You know, um, I guess so had you met Peter before the movie or did you you kind of meet him in regards to working on the movie
1: yes I met him uh, he when he outreached to the Los Angeles chapter about making the film that's when I met him
0: that has been an interesting experience It,
1: it was really cool I was like I thought it was a joke at first. I was like, I got this email, and I was like, do you want to work on the new Zeitgeist film? And I was like, someone's messing with me. This can't be real. And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, of course. Are you kidding me? Of course. I'm there.
0: That's awesome. You know, it's great that you get to be part of something like that, and it definitely sticks with you. Now, uh, you were the reporter near the end of the film. Is that correct? Right. So you're just kind of the one who was reporting on the protests themselves?
1: Yes. I think um, I'm... Probably some <laughs> Republican reporter from Fox News whose mind is blown at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Well, that's laughs> who gets, okay. we'll yeah, who gets her gets her fact checking from her daddy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man. There's so many great things about uh Fox News. But um <laughs> and anybody who hasn't seen it already, I recommend that you watch uh Out Foxed, Rupert Murdoch's war on <laughs> <laughs> journalism, which you can find in my uh must see TV list on the website for free. Um so I guess uh you know we've talked a little bit about um obviously your involvement in the movie your involvement with the movement and it, did you have you visited any of the occupy movements yet
1: I did I went and spent a little time in downtown Los Angeles during the uh in the beginning when it all started I'm sure you everybody knows that Zeitgeist really didn't have a presence in in occupy And I don't, you know, I'm not qualified to comment on as to why that was, but I think it's, you know, in short, just because we know that this monetary system is not fixable. And I think Occupy, their main agenda is to sort of try to fix the monetary system to better benefit the average person, which is great. It's a great idea, and it would be nice if that could happen for a little while until until the transition, but, you know, why go backwards when you're trying to go forward, right?
0: No, I agree. I think that um, my own experiences at Occupy basically echo the, echo the same thing. Um, it is a group of people that come from very diverse political backgrounds of their own, whether they're anarchists, socialists, communi- you know, uh, communists, or um, even occasionally you'll run into a free market libertarian, um it's it's definitely a situation where you have a bunch of people that are looking for solutions, and the funny thing that I've noticed is that in order to you know in order to continue to get along, they almost kind of don't want to talk about solutions because they know the minute that that comes up that people will start fighting each other, and the majority of the fighting that I've seen in Occupy Detroit was mostly started around the idea of. Well, I want us to be a socialist movement. Well, I want us to be an anarchist movement. Well, I want us to be a free market movement. And so they they kind of get wary of talking about it at all. And they're also extremely wary of anybody who shows up, you know, saying they have the solution because they have so many different groups that they're worried or trying to co-op them or whatever, which is why my advice to people when interacting with Occupy is don't, you know, don't co-op them. Don't show up and preach to them join them, because we have a lot in common with them, and they will respect you for your beliefs, you know, and eventually, over time, you'll get an opportunity to share your beliefs with them, and some people will learn, and some people won't, and I think that 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 was the formula for success that I had with Occupy Detroit, was just that, you know, it wasn't necessary for me to go there as like, hey, I'm a member of the Zeitgeist Movement, you should be too. I went there and joined Occupy Detroit, and then they asked me about who I was and what I did, and that allowed me to share it with them, and it's the same advice that I would give to anyone else, and it's off, it's mostly been a very positive, so, I mean, I mean it's, it's good that you got to visit Occupy LA. I would love to do that. I was kind of touring the local um, Occupy movements around here, and I'm planning to do more of that. Uh, to any of you guys who want to see my video coverage of the time that I've spent with Occupy Detroit and Occupy Flint. You can find that on my YouTube channel, which you can also get to on the website. So, summer. Uh, one of the reasons why I, you know, I was looking over the the different, you know, pictures of personalities that I saw that kind of stuck out in the Zeitgeist movement. And, you know, you have that very, you know, beautiful picture of yourself with "Please support a resource-based economy" on the bottom of it. Um, and yeah. I, I wanted Someone- to. T- Go someone ahead. Someone
1: made that. If someone made that, I'm not exactly sure. I could tell you who made it if I can look it up. But go ahead.
0: Right. Oh, actually, somebody in the uh, the chat room is saying they made that, <laughs> and they're commenting. They say, "Summer, you're a badass." Um, is it Jeremy? Yes, it's Jeremy. I um,
1: thought so. Okay. Cool. She
0: thought so. Well. Bye one of the conversations that I used to have frequently with Brandy Hume was on the topic of the fact that, you know, somebody being attractive inevitably gets them attention. And as a result, you know, that's going to happen regardless because of the way our society is conditioned. But you can use that force for, you know, for good or for evil, as it were, you know, um, Brandy never dressed provocatively or anything, but she certainly gets a lot of attention just because, you know, there's this pretty face and, people will click on her YouTube video looking for the pretty face. And then suddenly she starts talking and you find out she's brilliant and she's very smart. And, you know, I think also that that was another thing specifically that I've encountered in my life is, you know, I, I was involved in the rock music industry for a while. And during that time I met a lot of models and you end up like talking to these people and finding out, Hey, you know, they're, they're real people. You, you knew that, right? You know, they have like a life and,
1: dreams
0: and, you know, things that they like and things that they don't like. And I think a lot of people uh, tend to, you know, just see that, that surface image. And I think especially since our modern society, particularly through advertising, makes so much use of that, that you end up not really getting to know the person or or you you actually start to disassociate these pictures of human beings with, with people, with them being a real person, you know. And I guess my my question to you, just in general in your life, have you um, ever felt that you were underestimated due to your appearance?
1: Well, it's kind of funny because actually when I was growing up, I didn't have that experience of uh, feeling that I was viewed that way by mm-hmm. society. Um, I was bullied a lot in school, um, teased and things like that. It wasn't until uh I guess you get older and <laughs> I guess people hit puberty, and then the game changes a little bit, but uh yeah, I mean I grew up I grew up <clears throat> you know you can imagine being called a dumb blonde all the time, and um teachers at school didn't really nurture any kind of academic success that I might have shown in certain areas, like I do remember. Being told that I wasn't good at math in school, and that I wasn't, um, you know, just stick to stick to English and drama. You'll do you'll do well with those. And I actually, looking back, I realized I had an aptitude for science, but it wasn't nurtured. And um, so I didn't follow that path. But now I'm realizing that that's something that I may be able to utilize in the future. But um, yeah, I mean, getting out and as an adult in Los Angeles, working as an actor, it's something that comes up a lot. It's usually it's usually um how you're not good enough though is a thing. It's like there's always someone prettier, there's always someone more talented. there's always someone with better connections than you um but for me i just I've never really cared about those kinds of things. It's just been um uh, not something that's that interesting to me. I've been told to try and utilize those kinds of things as an asset, though, which, you know, would be a smart thing to do, I suppose, if I can muster up the energy to do that. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm sure you'll manage to accomplish something along that lines. I think that uh, one of the points that um, I found frequently that it was almost like a curse in some instances, because um, this actually came across, ironically, when I was talking to a Muslim girl, And she was wearing the full burqa, like all you could see was her eyes. And one of the things that she said to me was, you know, to be honest with you, um, I actually kind of like the fact that, you know, because I wear this clothing that men are just looking at my eyes because I know they're not staring at my chest (laughs) and I know they're not staring at my legs and they can listen to me and, and the things that I'm saying. And, you know, to them it was kind of, you know, it was an interesting reversal of what people think of, you know, in that situation was that to her, it was liberating that she wasn't being evaluated for her sex appeal and that therefore she could be just viewed as a person. And it's odd that, you know, you you know, you would think to yourself, well, that almost seems backwards and you're like, well, no, because of the way that we have essentially, you know, sexualized society, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if she felt liberated by the fact that she wasn't being judged by her appearance. Um, And that's actually um, an interesting thing that I don't think a lot of people look at, is that in many cases, the girls that are popular, um, especially because of their appearance, in many cases in high school, you find out that when you actually talk to these people, like really talk to them, which is not easy to do, because you know in most cases, they're very scared to talk about who they really are. You find out that they're very lonely individuals who have essentially allowed the the crowd to determine what their role is and they don't really get to be themselves. Uh, You see this a lot with um, celebrities as well. That's actually something that I'm working on in my blog. That'll be for an upcoming show is, you know, is to be discussing kind of how society rules you in these weird ways that you're not necessarily familiar with, you know, that are happening, you know, in many cases subconsciously where a group of people has a lot of power over you without even ever having to exert any force. Like, you talked about being bullied, bullied in high school, and I think that's a lot of where this really starts. Like, when anarchists suggest that we don't need any authority figures and that authority figures are the problem, I always think back to, not just school, but also just all kinds of social situations when I was younger. Nobody gave the in-crowd the right to do what they did. Nobody gave them any, like, there was no laws that on paper that made them who they were, yet they were able to assert authority and to control everything. Like those people controlled every aspect of your life. They controlled what shoes you wore. They controlled like you know what music you would at least admit that you listened to. Yeah. I mean, it was worse than fascism because then you know what they're doing. These people had control over your minds,
1: oh, and it's, ter- it's terrifying.
0: It well, is terrifying.
1: I mean, don't we all have our horror stories from those times?
0: Absolutely. And that's, and I see that, you know, um, actually hearing, you know, your life experience on that, I'll probably have to talk to you separately at some point to kind of get some data from you because um, usually, not always, usually somebody who is physically attractive can kind of slide into the in crowd no matter what else is going on in their life. But it sounds to me like part of the other reason you probably didn't fit in very well, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. fit in is, you know, it's no measure of sanity to be adjusted to a sick society. You know, um, if your brain was working, then inevitably, you know, those they get really scared of people who know what's going on, who know that they're full of crap.
1: Oh, it's so true. But I did actually slide in um, toward the end of school. Uh, through, I learned through acting. I started acting when I was pretty young. I was like, hey, you know what I can do is I can just act like those people, and then they'll like me. Mm-hmm. And so I did that, and then also... My bedroom had a sliding bus door, so all the cool kids wanted to come spend the night at my house because they could sneak out. <laughs> and, you know, all, and I had a pool, and of course, the materialism of our society, they're like, Summer has a pool, we're going to her house. We're going to be her friend now, even though we beat her up last year.
0: <laughs> it's amazing how those roles can change so quickly, isn't it? You know, yeah. And, but the fact that you're conscious of that actually is a big deal. That's, Something that Ben Stewart was talking about in his Hang Demand project presentation on the YouTube, he was talking about how, like, when we quote unquote freed ourselves in the American Revolution, there were still a lot of people that didn't really understand what that meant. Like, they were like, "Okay, so is George our king now?" You know, meaning George Washington. You know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, is that what we do? You know, like, and I think that obviously we've evolved a lot since then. But as Ben pointed out. A lot of people really don't know that they're free they don't really even understand how unfree they are when they allow themselves to be ruled by these stereotypes you know whether or not it's well she's pretty so therefore she must be socially important even if she's a really cruel individual you know this person's ugly so they should be socially unimportant even if they're you know caring and intelligent and wise you know, we allow so many of these things to rule our everyday lives. And I got to say, my hat is off to you for, you know, having been given the cards that you were dealt and still managing to not let it get you down and push forward. Um, So um, thank you for being the person that you are. And I hope that the people (laughs) listening find your story inspiring.
1: Well, yeah. (laughs) I hope so too, I guess. (laughs) Well,
0: um, so... Now that you've uh, obviously, you know, you were involved with moving forward and you you know you're still kind of paying attention to the the the, the movement as it grows. Uh I, my question I guess would be now what was your opinion as far as finances were concerned before the resource based economy? Was there any kind of transformation for you or were you kind of headed in that direction anyway
1: before I saw the film? Yes. Oh well, I didn't have an idea for a transition. I just thought that I had a revolutionary idea that we were actually economic slaves. <laughs> I didn't really have an idea of what to be done about that. I think that I probably, um, not knowing it at the time, may have had a more of a socialist um, mentality. I just I thought that everyone should be, you know, we're taught to believe we're entitled to an education. Well, I believe that people should be entitled to a roof over their head, to good healthy food, to clean water, to medical care. I just I always thought that those were so basic that it would that it was completely ridiculous to say that a certain group of people were worthy of that or not. Right. So how that I, I never imagined how that, that would be how that would be possible before I saw the films, no.
0: So in other words, you kind of, just like Jack Fresco, you kind of felt that things were screwed up from the beginning. And, you know, I totally understand what that's like. You know, the funny thing that I'm finding, actually, because every now and then I'll post content on the Zeitgeist Movement Global Facebook group, and it's amazing to me sometimes how many of the things that we post become controversial. Like I just posted a picture of a little African boy reaching out to... A uh, like a faucet of water
1: mm-hmm. and there's
0: this guy standing there in a suit and he's clenching the hose. I saw you know, that. And it's amazing to me like, you know, you make little statements like that and holy crap does it shake people up, you know, and the arguments that started coming back and forth and then you know, the people that were coming on there that were defending free market capitalism I'm like, w- wait a minute wait, wait, why are you even in this group if you advocate free market I know, capitalism? I'm wondering
1: where this some of these people come from I'm like why are you watching us if you're so against what we're doing it blows my mind how much time people will spend out of their personal life just to negate something I don't know how they care it's like it's like the same with gay marriage why do you care what somebody else is doing in their private life you should be off living your own so yeah I've seen uh, seen, it is surprising the controversy that can be stirred up just by by an image
0: right it's, um, I think that, well, I think it also, it really confronts you, you know, as because we all know that that's going on. But it's amazing how even many activists will continue to live their commercial lifestyles, you know, and maybe they do activism to make themselves feel better. It's one of the things that Jock mm-hmm. talks about. You know, you put your change in the Save the Whales bucket, and then you leave the store to go, you know, do whatever. It doesn't Absolutely. occur to you that there's these people that don't have water, you know, right. and mind you, the, the picture, the words of the picture is capitalism. And it's, I, one of the things that we try to emphasize on an Aaron, I don't know if you've ever watched any of storm clouds gatherings videos, but um, you know, he makes a lot of videos to get people's attention. And anybody who wants to check that out, you can go to waiting for the um, But he actually used to be an anti-Zeitgeister and, uh, you know, he and I became friends, and, you know, he's not super pro, but he's not against us anymore, and, you know, he makes a lot of great videos talking about the, the, just the way that these things go on, and, you know, and how people are just kind of unconscious of them, you know, and the the water situation is one of them. I remember the other day, uh, because I just moved into a new house, and You know, there was water that like is going into my dishwasher, and my my dishes are all coming out with like this white film on them. I'm like beginning to wonder, man, I hope there's nothing harmful in my water. And then, I immediately clicked on and was thinking of the the situation in in many places in Africa where these people don't have water at all. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm just like, wow, you know, I've got such a crisis on my hands. There might be some film on my dishes.
1: Yeah. Well, I think uh, when people get upset and try to defend the system that allows for these things to happen to people I think it comes from it comes from a place of somewhat of guilt but also because they haven't been taught any different they've only been taught to to accept this system for what it is and it's it's sort of like when you talk about nutrition or healthy eating with people who don't eat healthy they get offended because they know inside that it's wrong but they don't know what to do about it and it, it's it's unnerving and they feel threatened when confronted with those issues. So I think it's similar to that. But yeah, I mean and that brings up like another really difficult thing to think about, which is we do feel grateful for all the things that we do have, but don't we want to believe that everyone is entitled to having the best of the best? I think we do. I think we shouldn't be afraid to, you know, get a little strong with that statement and just say that everyone on earth deserves clean water. You know, the kid in Africa who's dying of thirst does not deserve that anymore. Then we deserve to have to drink fluoride in our water, you know, if we don't want to.
0: And that's, you know, I think that, you know, there was another uh, picture I posted a long time ago around Christmas time. It was actually on Christmas morning. I posted one called Define Necessity. And oh, my goodness, did that one ever create problems. But yeah. it was a little African child lying on the ground, starving to death, next to a picture of a Christmas morning, you know, mm-hmm. with the Christmas tree and all the, you know, the the presents and all of that stuff. And Man, there were people who were mad at me for posting that, and some of them were act- were activists. They're like, you know, I I don't need to be reminded of that right now. And I'm just like,
1: <laughs> well, what are you doing on Facebook on Christmas morning, man? You right?
0: care so much. <laughs> well, no, for sure. And I was just like, whoa, hold on a minute here. You know, like, what are you yelling at me about? And they're like, lighten the f up. You know, Christmas is the only time we get to feel free.
1: Oh, was what that. one of them
0: said to me, and I was like, what? You feel free on Christmas? I'm like. Well, it's also just, I mean, beyond just the issue of the amount of money we spend, it was the fact that uh, I've been to families' houses because my family doesn't really celebrate this holiday. I'll get invited by somebody, and I'll kind of feel pressured to go because, you know, they don't want me to be sitting in my house alone on Christmas. And I'll go, and, you know, uh, in a lot of cases, the families are so stressed out
1: during the holidays. They really are. I actually... Gift christmas this year with my family because of that I couldn't I didn't feel like it was healthy for me to deal with that with my values the way that my values are now
0: and that's actually I think you know it's it, I've done the same thing and I actually recorded a show called Thoughts on Thanksgiving because I have a little MP3 recorder I take with me everywhere now just in case I think of something that would be good for a show and you know just commenting on how much my values have changed how alien I felt to the people around me who are celebrating those. And um, you guys can find those shows in the archives. The Thoughts on Thanksgiving got good reviews, but it has not had as many people download it yet. Part of the problem with that is that if I upload a show, it does not send out a message to everyone, so you may not even know it's there. But if you go to my archives, you can find Thoughts on Thanksgiving. But um, inevitably, though, like you said, your values have changed. It makes it hard for you to relate you know it makes you hard makes it hard for you to sit down to a you know a big sumptuous meal quote unquote and you know not think about the people who don't have anything and i think that that was actually one of the biggest things that happened on the on the facebook group was i end up in an argument with free market capitalists who are for some reason on the zeitgeist movement global group and they're saying you know well there are free market solutions to all these problems you know and i'm like yeah i know i i used to be a free market capitalist you you can't tell me anything i didn't know about this and um I don't think this little kid is in a position to go start his own business and become an entrepreneur. What? No,
1: we can give him a microloan and he'll be set. Come on.
0: (laughs) That's right. We'll call the World Bank. They'll hook him right up. Yeah,
1: we'll go give them some money so they can, wait, spend money there? Oh, they can't. (laughs) Right. Oh, well, whatever. Throw money at it. We'll fix it.
0: Right, right. No, that's, that's actually an excellent point. I'll have, have to
1: check out the uh, the Thanksgiving thing because I actually, you know, how you're saying about your Christmas post. My Thanksgiving post, I I've, I've posted a picture of Wednesday Adams from the Adams Family movie where she she is in the Thanksgiving parade or the Thanksgiving play, and she's she stops what they're supposed to do and tells the audience about how um, white imperialists murdered and took the land from the Native Americans <laughs> and I posted a quote from that and that picture up and talked about how Thanksgiving was really just celebrating s- slavery and, and imperialism and I got a whole shit storm of people <laughs> like, why are you ruining Thanksgiving summer, God,
0: You know, actually, this is something I was thinking about when you were telling your story. And, you know, you have this tendency, obviously, of saying very, quote, unquote, provocative things. And then you get treated like something is wrong with you. You know, like when you were a kid in school, you asked, so why is it okay that, you know, we kill their women and children, but it's not okay that they kill our women and children? And that was something you needed therapy for.
1: Right. You
0: (laughs) You needed to, quote, unquote, be normalized. Um, And that's actually an element that I'm going to be talking about on my blog as well, because it's relevant to what you're talking about. Uh, Derek Jensen um, is, well, although he hates being called this, um, he's an anarcho-primitivist, which is the anarchist school that believes we should just go back to nature. And I understand where they're coming from. I don't think it's practical. But ironically, we end up having a lot more in common with their philosophy than we do with most of the other anarchist schools. But in any case, one of the things he pointed out was that in our culture – violent behavior is acceptable as long as it is down the perceived social scale, you know, and, you know, you see, it's not just physical violence, it's mental violence. It's, you know, uh, right. All of those things are considered acceptable, quote unquote, acceptable. I mean, obviously if you confront someone and say, well, is it okay that we killed 3000 innocent people? You know, they're going to go, well, they're never going to admit that that's okay, but are they all up in arms about it? Are they all jumping around about it? I mean, that's like, Um, I want to use the clip from the the Batman um, movie, the one with the Joker in it, because at one point he points out it's all part of the plan, like that, you know, we, we, you know, 100,000 people get bombed in some other country and, you know, people just kind of go along with that because it's all part of the plan and then. He wants to blow up 30 people on a ship and everybody just goes crazy, you know. And (laughs) as as funny as that is, he's absolutely right, is that we don't think like that. And that's why, you know, you needed to be given therapy for pointing out one of the most ridiculous, you know, uh, things that we do on a regular basis. Like when As
1: a seven-year-old. A seven-year-old can see that.
0: As a seven-year-old, absolutely. And... It's amazing, actually. I have a six-year-old, and, you know, she and I talk about all kinds of things. And I tell her, you know, these are the things I believe, but it's okay for you to believe whatever you want. And, you know, I bought her a children's book that explains atheism, and I did it only because her mom is exposing her to religion. And I said, now, sweetie, you're free to believe whatever you want, and Daddy won't be mad at you. But this is what I believe, and this is why. Um, Mm -hmm. And and the book is called uh, Great Without Religion. And by the time it was over, the book is not accusatory. It doesn't make fun of anybody or anything, but it, it is very kind of direct in a children's book sort of way about religion, and it had a very profound effect on her. And she's like, man, this stuff is silly. <laughs> I yeah, I
1: know, and I think, I think kids naturally know that. I knew that as a child. I was forced to go to church, mm-hmm. um, and I was, the Christian values were heavily pushed on me, um, but no one was exhibiting them. You know, we were right. told... Uh, you know, do unto others, give to the poor, don't charge interest, you know, (laughs) all these things from the Bible. But And growing up in the South is seriously a mind-beef, you know, because, like, you get these Christian values shoved down your throat, which are really good values, Mm -hmm. but at the same time you've got these, hardcore republicans who are quote-unquote physically conservative um who don't care if people are starving around the world as long as they went to their job and made themselves so like they earned whatever they have over someone else and then you know you also have like don't judge you know you're taught not to judge people but the the south is so judgmental so xenophobic and so unaccepting of other people so it was very. I think the duality of that was uh, had a, a profound effect on my psyche.
0: It's really amazing how those contradictions happen, and you don't really get an opportunity to to look outside of it if you're subject to the peer pressure. The and there is a biological factor to that. I recently stumbled across in my research, but we inherently, it's one of our few instincts. We as a from a, coming from a hunter gatherer cultural culture. Fear being ostracized because in a hunter-gatherer situation, you know, because humans existed as a communal animal, ostracism equaled death.
1: Yeah, very they, much so.
0: If they kicked you out of the group, you were dead. It was it was you very survive.
1: real. Yeah, you couldn't survive when you're on. Your own. It also happens, uh, still happens in nature with animals that have albinism. They're pushed out of the group, and then they're, they starve because they rely on the group to 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 survive to eat.
0: Right. And that's, you know, and that's a powerful thing that people take advantage of, particularly it's one of the things that happens to you in school. You begin to worry about, well, well, I don't have a lot of friends. You know, I'm having those conversations with my daughter now because she's just starting to get to the point where people are suggesting to her that having a lot of friends means that you're that there's, that there's something right with you and not having right. a lot of friends. You know, that's something that took me forever to overcome myself because I was conditioned just like everyone else, but... I have, like, a handful of people that I would call my friends, and that's because I eventually began to understand that you usually have less than a handful of people that are really your friends, and the majority of the people around you are just there because they want the illusion of having a lot of friends,
1: too. Very true, yeah.
0: Right. You know, and that's um, an element that I think that most people are not ready to uh, accept about themselves. and. The funny thing about this is that you can usually get people to agree that these things are true. You can usually get people to agree that these things apply, you know, but you can't get them to admit it, like, publicly. And then, mm. then maybe they'll kind of shrug and just go, oh, well, that, that's just the way it is, you know. Um, even though, you know, that's actually a conversation I had with uh, March and Jackabowski from Open Source Ecology. Uh, speaking of which, folks... Uh, I'm going to have uh, another fellow, Aaron, from Open Source Ecology on tomorrow to give updates on what's going on with Open Source Ecology. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar with Open Source Ecology, they're developing open source technologies to basically create sustainable communities and giving the plans away for free. So you can check them out at openfarmtech.org. And, yes, same time as tonight. So, um, But anyway, you know, I was discussing this with him because it's kind of quote unquote, my life's work to try to expose this little stupid pyra- you know, pyramid game that people play. And he's like, well, what do you think about it? Do you feel that it's something that, you know, is changeable? And I said, well, I feel that it is changeable because if it wasn't, we couldn't perceive it. I wouldn't be able to see, well, there's something wrong with this. Why are they picking on that kid? He didn't do anything. You know, if, if, if it was just a natural thing, like an instinctual thing that we could not change about ourselves, you know, like breathing, we would be able you know we wouldn't be able to perceive it, you know, and racism used to be the same way. There were people who perceived that racism was messed up, you know um but that doesn't mean that they they did anything about it, and that was mostly because they were afraid oh, of the backlash.
1: absolutely well i, I have uh, interracial family members, and uh, growing up in the South, that's interesting because um even though a family member that we love and care about was mixed uh, biracial my family members would still make racist comments and things and, Mm -hmm. and still have issues with people of different ethnicities, which is completely ridiculous as well as homosexuality. I have a homosexual, a homosexual relative as well. And yet my entire family would still just say the most horrible things about people who are homosexual. So it's like, but we are supposed to love and accept our family Mm-hmm. at the very least, but yet you're telling me this person's going to go to hell. You're telling me the person I love and care about who's good to me and good to other people in their lives is going to go to hell. So it's just, it's totally messes with the minds of children, I believe.
0: Especially since, well, anybody who understands, this is the thing I usually have to try to get across to people when we talk about this because uh, I was kind of a person of controversy towards the end of my involvement in the Ron Paul movement because they were endorsing this guy named Chuck Baldwin, who came from the Constitution Party,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: being as how Senator Mike Gravel was one of my mentors, he told me, you got to investigate these politicians, just because your group of friends likes them, you need to look at them, and that includes me, you know, he was talking about himself, too, you know, if there's something you don't like about me, then, you know, by all means, you know, you, you let me know, and And so I investigated Chuck Baldwin and I investigated the Constitution Party because they were trying to pretend to be a, well, we're a good libertarian party. You should vote for us if you don't like our, you know, the libertarian candidate. And come to find out there's all this, like, you know, anti-gay marriage and, you know, anti-gay bashing, like, meaning that, like, any, any, any gay bashing laws, they want those gone and they don't want the government to take any stance to discourage people mistreating gay people. And I was like, what the hell is this stuff? You know, and I'm like, how how can you guys vote for this person? I'm like, this is, you guys, we got into this because of Ron Paul. Ron Paul would never endorse this garbage, you know. And um, at one point, because I was part of their network, actually, their radio network, which is where I got started, was called uh, Ron Paul Radio. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, why don't you call in? Because we've got the guy on right now, and, you know, he'll set you straight. I'm like, (laughs) "Uh, are you sure you want me to do that? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, Okay. (laughs) And I called in, and um, I was like, "Can you explain to me?" You know, first of all, I started. Do you endorse the Constitution Party's platform? And he's like, "Well, yes, of course I do." And I'm like, "Okay, um, well then, can you explain the following bullet points?" And I just went through and listed all these terribly theocratic, fascist things that were in the you know the the and they hung up on me. It didn't take wow, long, yeah. You know, because they're they they had an agenda. They wanted this guy to get elected, and you know they weren't even thinking about you know any of this stuff and i actually got in trouble with that group of friends for just telling the truth you mm-hmm. know um and it's, go ahead
1: it's so ridiculous the entire political the, the all politics is as i feel like the longest running soap opera in history mm-hmm. and the fact that people take it so seriously really um drives me nuts because it's just such a it's such a farce it's such a play you know um, I agree. And and to hear people putting so much of their energy into, you know, saying this candidate or that candidate is going to do this, and this candidate is more accepting of certain people and while the other one isn't, and this candidate candidate's going to fix the economy, which is completely laughable because, you know, we all know no one can fix the economy. And to wonder if they know that that's, the case as well or if they are just completely indoctrinated also you know you never know so it's completely ridiculous
0: oh i concur i absolutely concur you know um so we're down to like the last 10 minutes summer that went by really quickly i'd like to talk to you a little briefly off the air about something related to v radio afterwards if you're available (laughs) um you know but it's been awesome to have you on today uh I guess um we, we've talked a little bit about gay marriage we talked a little bit about well actually yeah the gay marriage thing um, I'm gonna be pretty soon uh, interviewing a lady who was a big activist on the gay marriage front she's in a film called for my wife uh, the the film company actually sent me a preview of that so I can check it out and um, that is another example of, like something you said earlier in the broadcast that really rings true with me was the 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 point that these people feel that it's somehow an infringement on their rights that these other people are doing stuff in the privacy of their own houses that has nothing to do with them. You like, know what I
1: really I think it is? I think it's the. it also comes from the economic system. I think a large part of uh, the politicians that are pushing being against um, mm-hmm. gay marriage are also backed by these corporations who don't want to have to pay benefits to the spouses of these gay people. That's what I think it is. Or that's a, a huge part of it, I think. I don't think it's just religious or whatever. I think that um, companies that pay benefits to their employees, where they would have to pay for their spouse's employees as well, they don't want to pay for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Actually, <laughs> that's another funny libertarian story. I was a libertarian delegate to the 2008 convention, and um, I was sitting with a guy named George Phillies. He was a libertarian candidate who's also, like, a professor of physics, like really brilliant smart guy and we're sitting around hanging out in his hotel room and you know eating food and drinking you know pop and stuff and this guy walks up to him and he's like hey i'm a delegate and um i want to discuss with you this issue of you know gay marriage and george looks at him kind of funny like okay well we're libertarians what could you possibly have to say to me about it and you know and he's like well i you know and then He's like, "Well, I just feel that uh I should uh, you know, not have to pay these people's benefits if I don't agree with their gay marriage." And I kind of start chuckling and the guy looks at me and I was like, he's like, "What is it?" I'm like, "I really think it's funny when libertarians start eating their tails." And he's like, "What do you mean eating your tails?" I'm like, "You're chasing around what you think is your freedom so much that you think that that includes the ability to take freedom away from other people." <laughs> and he's like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, why should you even give a damn what these people are doing in their house if you think you're a libertarian? It's none of your damn business, you know. And then the funny thing is, is Phillies, you know, mind you, who's about to lose a delegate because this guy's not going to vote for him if he doesn't go along with his, you know, I should be allowed to, you know, not pay people, you know, their benefits if they're gay married. He kind of looked at the guy and smiled, and then he looks at me and he's like. I think you have your answer, you know, mm-hmm. because I just laid it out, I was like, what why do you feel that you should have a judgment as to whether or not you owe somebody money for something that you contract with them about when they're your employee based on their lifestyle choices? you yeah. know it just it's ridiculous.
1: It's just another example of how the monetary system infringes upon everyone's rights, and I mean being libertarian. It sounds great and all, you know, it sounds very idealistic. Oh, we want everyone to have their liberty. But if you're going to be a free market advocate, it it doesn't correlate because if you're going to stand up for the free market, the free market's not going to stand up for your freedoms and your liberties. It's going to infringe upon them because of issues like that.
0: And that's, you know, and I think that that was the funniest things about, you know, how that all went down was, that that group of people became so fanatical that, you know, if you didn't hold on to the same uh, virtues that they had, then they would be so vicious with you. You know, they're supposed to be a free-thinking, you know, a society of people who encourage free-thinking and, you know, uh, encourage, you know, the ability to be yourself. And if anybody sounds any different, than them. They are really mean to you. I mean, like, I took Senator Mike Gravel. I'm actually the guy who got him to go from being a Democrat, so libertarian. So I was one of the people that went with him to the convention. And holy crap, you spend a few days with those people. And you're like, man, they, everybody here is so brutal. If you don't talk exactly like them, they are so mean to you. You know, like, they don't physically do anything to you. But jeez, are they vicious? Right. You know, It's amazing to me, actually, how vicious activists can be with each other. And I think that that's one of the biggest problems we have is that, you know, we the the ninety nine percent, you know, that that we represent, you know, to coin an occupy phrase is bigger than the one percent. Like I recently found actually this very good little clip of that moment from a bug's life when the grasshoppers, you know, the grasshopper leader explains to them if the ants ever figure out that there's so many more of them than there are of us. You know, we're doomed. So, uh, in any case, the 99%, however, spends an awful lot of time fighting with itself. Oh, and, and that's
1: how the system has been set up to operate. They want us to fight against ourselves so that we can't unite and overcome the things that are holding us back.
0: Exactly, exactly. And that's, I think that, um, actually, coming up soon, Aaron Stormclad's gathering and I will be working together on a project to try to, Get the right and the left activist groups to be able to recognize their common "quote unquote" foes, their common enemies, and work together towards that end. I mean, Ron Paul, for example, does not really agree with the majority of what the Occupy movement is about, but even he said, "Well, let's go to you know, let's go to end the Fed rallies together. There's no reason why we can't work on that. We definitely both agree on that." You That's
1: know, definitely something that is needed.
0: Exactly, and that's an example of something that you probably wouldn't notice right away because you're too busy arguing about the the little things that divide you. Um, Michael Badnarik actually said that in one of his recent speeches. He was a guy who ran for the presidency of the Libertarian Party on the Libertarian Party ticket like back in 2004. He was like, libertarians, you know, agree on 98% of the platform, that they spend 98% of their time viciously arguing with each other about the 2% that they don't agree on, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, uh, Yeah, I
1: spend probably 90% of my time online, when I do talk to people online mediating mm-hmm. because they get in these heated arguments and uh, start turning against each other, and I'm like, whoa, 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 that's definitely not where we need to be going here.
0: Now, we're down to the last three minutes or so, uh, Summer. Uh, I, once again, I want to thank you for being on tonight and... Um, I want to tell everybody who's listening that you've been listening to V-Radio. Please check out my website, v-radio.org. There you can find more shows like this one in the archives, my must-see TV list of free documentaries that you can watch on the Internet, um, all of which I think are very important to just being a human being, let alone being an activist. Um, Tomorrow I'm going to have Aaron from Open Source Ecology who will be discussing what's going on with Open Source Ecology. That'll also be on 9 p.m. Eastern Time, which is when I do most of my shows, but not all of them. And um, I am looking for donations this month. I'm kind of in a crunch on that. Um, some of that is my fault. I really had a slow start this month on shows because of a lot of writer's block. But um, I'm planning on putting out some uh, a show every day between now and the 31st, folks. So. If you can donate, donate whatever you can. Thousands of people download this show. If every one of them donated a dollar, you wouldn't even get an opportunity to be able to donate because of the fact that it would already be full. So thanks again, Summer, for being on tonight. And um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I'm going to leave you guys with some words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. Actually, no, I'm not, because the button. (laughs) But it was a good thought. (laughs) Or maybe it'll work over here. Yes, it will. Here we go. Nope, it's not working over there either. Here, I'll just kind of emulate what everybody says. This is Roxanne Meadows, and this is Jack Fresco. And you're listening
1: to V-Radio. Okay.